0: Welcome to the Dick Schroeder Podcast. Dick draws his teaching from a deep well of love for the Bible and 50 years of strategic ministry among university students. Enjoy this episode and remember, your Father in Heaven loves you. You guys all know Dick Schroeder. He's the leader of our campus ministry here in Bozeman. And I'm just going to let him come. Thank you, Todd. Good morning, everyone. My heart is full because I had a wonderful two weeks in Albania, saw God doing some very strategic and wonderful things, I thank all of you for your prayers, because I, I felt the prayers of, uh, of of all of you. I kind of felt like I was in a bubble, a bubble of anointing, and I could have thrown a fish out and God would have done something. So I really felt the impact of your prayers. And I, I pray that what I have to share this morning will will encourage us as a church um, in in the vision that God has given us for this hour. I pray that it'll encourage all of you that are giving to missions, not just to Albanian, but missions around the world. And that as Todd led us in prayer this morning for the nations, that you'll be encouraged in that because that's the vehicle for God working in the earth. I'd like you to join me. I'm going to ask for God to anoint our ears and our hearts this morning. Jesus, I want to thank you for my family here. I want to thank you, Jesus, that the same spirit that lives in us lives in the Albanian church. The same spirit that arrested us, and drew us out of the world, has drawn them out of the world, and they're learning to walk with you, Lord. Thank you that we are united in spirit this morning. Jesus, I pray in your name that you will come this morning and impart some of your heart to us, Lord God, that there might be rejoicing and that there might be new vision that will come forth, Father, for all of us as, as, we, as you would open our eyes, Lord, to see what you are doing in the earth. So I ask your your blessing and ask you to come now in the name of Jesus, amen. 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 I bring you greetings from Vaughn and Sue Golder, and I bring you greetings from the Church of 200 in Toronto, the capital city that uh, that they are pastoring. I fell in love with the people in Albania. That happens when you pray for people. If you pray for a group of people... God not only puts a burden to pray, but he also gives you love for that people. And, and I found my heart really going out to these people. As I walked on the streets, I, uh, I noticed that the Albanians are a dark-skinned people, and they're, uh, generally have dark hair and, and very dark eyes, and they're very attractive people. The, the, the women were very beautiful, the men were very handsome, and they just were just a very likable people. But as I, Looked at their eyes as I walked the streets. I saw the same thing that Jesus saw when he, centuries ago, when he walked the streets of Palestine. And he said this in Matthew chapter nine. But when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest. To send out laborers into his harvest. And this was Jesus' burden as he observed people that were depressed. They were without any spiritual direction. They were oppressed. And Jesus' heart reached out to them that he would come and shepherd them himself. And today he reaches out to them, not though not um, he is not here, but he is here with us and through our hearts and through our ministry. And Albania has been a nation that has been deeply oppressed for 47 years. After being utterly closed to the rest of the world, Albania just recently opened. Back when World War II came to a close, this little country came under the rule of a madman, a madman, Enver Hoxha by name. Even hardline communists from other countries could not enter this country. Nobody in the West had laid eyes on this country for two generations. All church buildings were destroyed or converted to other uses. And the name of God was not allowed to be printed in any form. This country of three million people had not heard the word of God spoken or seen it in print for almost 50 years. Nothing like this had ever happened in human history, certainly not for so long a a duration. No Bibles were allowed in the country. There was a death penalty for reading or even owning a Bible. God had been obliterated from the country's literature. Religion had ceased in Albania. Such was Albania when the doors opened just two years ago. And I know that all of you have heard of the good reports of things that are happening, and I want to add to that report this morning. I arrived in Tirana, the capital city of Albania, and I was greeted by a hot blast of 100-degree wind. I was met at the airport by numbers of soldiers guarding the airport. Um, My wife and I had gone to the Soviet Union in 1980, and so we had witnessed soldiers at the airport. We had witnessed soldiers standing on bridges. It seems like everywhere you went, there were soldiers with guns, and you had to present your passport. But Vaughn indicated to me that the soldiers were not there to protect the Albanians from you, as used to be the case, it used to be if you're a foreigner, they suspected you of working for the CIA. But now it's just the opposite. The soldiers are there to protect the visitors, the the, the arriving passengers, from the thievery of the Albanians. And Vaughn warned me when I went through the, the luggage check-in and when I went through customs, he says, make sure you hang on to your bags because people will just come up and take them and they're out the door and you'll never see it again. That happens quite regularly. So I had over 200 pounds of luggage and I was holding on and making sure nobody was going to, going to get to me. And I was sure glad to see Vaughn's face at the door. He had a, he, he has a a relief card because he's working with the distribution of relief. And so that gave him some special clout to get in past the officials. And uh, he helped me get through customs. And all he had to say is, this man is with me. And they said fine. So they didn't even open any of the bags. My first glimpses of Albania were from where it took place as I rode in uh, Vaughn's new orange van. He, um, a person in Switzerland found them a nice uh, nine passenger orange van that works perfect for them taking people on outreach. And uh, we've been praying for them that God would answer their transportation needs. And so they got this very inexpensive, good vans in good shape. And uh, it was, it was nice to see that. I got a, when my pictures get back, I'll show it to you. It's a nice, big, bright orange van. (laughs) One of the things I observed as we drove in from the airport to into the capital city about thirty minutes away is that the land was dotted with cement bunkers. You may have seen them in World War II movies, these big cement structures that are have a round dome on the top and the, the countryside is littered with them they're everywhere you look. you see these concrete bunkers, and you see the the, the madman Enver Hoja, the wicked dictator was so paranoid, he was afraid that not only would the West invade the Albanians, but also they were even paranoid of their fellow communists, the the Soviets and even the Chinese. And so for 45 years, these people lived under the lie that life was so good in Albania that the rest of the world was ready to invade because they were jealous. Nothing could be further from the truth. But because of the isolation that these people lived under, and really it was only with the advent of global satellite television and the computer that the this information shield was pierced and the truth became known, and that led to the downfall of all of the communist governments. But until then, it, this was a tightly controlled society where no information from the west or the east got in and no one else could get into the country. It was It was a very, very desperate situation. And what a sad thing it is that this, this madman wasted all of the resources these people building. There's probably as many bunkers as there are people in Albania. There's three million people there. So this military madness robbed the people of the basic necessities of life, all, all, all based on this madman's paranoia. It was not uncommon to see animals on the highway. It was very common to drive down the road, see a Mercedes. And next comes a horse-drawn cart or a group of goats. We were at the beach one day, laying in the sand, enjoying the nice, warm, Adriatic ocean. And a flock of sheep buzzed right by, right on the ocean. And I said, that's Albania for you. I saw men harvesting hay by hand in the hot sun. I saw vendors selling huge stacks of watermelon, two or three feet high, a lot of these big, beautiful watermelons. I saw a crew painting stripes on the highway, except they weren't painting with a painting machine. They were out there with a brush and a bucket, painting down the road, lining up the stripes with little rocks as guides. I saw an old army truck, looked like a World War II vintage truck, and the, the engine had been taken off and the front part of the hood had been chopped <laughs> off, and the wheels were still on the truck, except that it, without, there was no engine, and the truck was pulled by this ill-fed looking horse. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's a one-horse power truck, you know. <laughs> Sites like this were, uh, were just so very common. And the, the contrast between a, um, a, a developing economy and, um, and, and the poverty was, was, was very glaring and very stark. We drove into Toronto. Toronto is the capital city of 300,000 people. Most of the buildings are concrete and brick buildings that were built, um, by the communists and because of the just the weak economic situation there the whole the whole country is dilapidated it's in much need of repair there's there's not much color and uh, it just gives this city gives bleak testimony to, to the utter failure of collective ownership. It simply does not work. It never will work. God de- God designed us to own and possess things, because when uh, when everybody owns it, nobody owns it. Nobody takes care of it, and that country is a great testimony to that. Sue told me that that things were so bleak when they moved to Toronto in 1991 that some of the 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 visitors from the west that were that had moved to into toronto we would throw away you know like a pop can or a uh, a bottle of um uh, a bottle for dishwashing liquid and see these people had never seen anything like that and they would take these these things that we would discard and they put them on their, their, their uh, shelves at home because it was something of beauty. They'd never seen a plastic bottle. And, and, and it was colored and they thought, isn't this beautiful? You know, it shows how, de- how really how deprived the communist system was. And in Albania, everybody drives with their horn. Everybody drives with their horn. And, and they have the most imaginative sounding horns in Albania. It's not just the normal Hong Kong beep beep that we have, but they have horns that Vaughn tells me come from Greece that play tunes. They go. I even thought I heard the bridge on the river Kwai in one (laughs) horn. It was great. And when you hear a, a horn in Albania, that means one thing, means get out of the way. Because there, the vehicles have the right of way. You must remember that there were no private cars until two years ago. No one owned a car. The only people that owned cars was the communist elite, and they drove the limousines and, of course, the military vehicles. The city of 300,000 people, lovely streets, was virtually void of traffic because there, was, there were no cars, but now cars are flooding in. People are, are buying a lot of cars. They did not take driver's education, and it is utter chaos. <laughs> So when you hear a horn, you get out of the way because they're not going to stop for you. And not only is the traffic sad, the traffic is just crazy, but people cross, jaywalk, go everywhere. And then bicycles, they do everything else. So so driving through Toronto was a real adrenaline rush. And I was sure glad that I left my driver's license back in the United States and that Vaughn was driving. But I talked to Vaughn about the honking, and he told me that in Albania, to honk is is a loving and a kind thing to do. Now, when somebody honks at you in America, either they're getting your attention or they're saying "Get out of my way." Uh-uh. But in Albania, the honking of a horn is a very kind thing, and so when people hear that, they it's like they say, "Well, thank you for telling me you're there. You're there, and I'll get out of your way." And it just goes to show you how much of our of our stuff is culturally interpreted. We Americans interpret a honk of a horn one way, they, they interpret it totally differently. And those things need to be taken into account as we, uh, as we minister the gospel. Free enterprise is coming to Albania and the streets are lined with these little, um, vendor tables. These little, this guy will have a little table. It'll have a few items on it. And he'll be selling his um, his wares that he has purchased um, from either from Greece or from somewhere else in Europe. And those, those little shops are springing up all over. And and uh, just uh, uh, Sue took uh, me to a shop where now you can buy toilets and freezers and refrigerators—things unheard of in Albania—that all of that is beginning to flood the market. And when when you have entrepreneurship, you you get uh, the, the classic capitalistic um sorts of things this was a uh, a bottle of coca-cola except if you look really closely although it looks like a coca-cola it says joy cola <laughs> joy cola and it says joke on it. So some entrepreneur in, in Albania is is selling counterfeit Coca-Cola and the people don't know the difference. Vaughn told me not to drink it because it's terrible. But I brought, I brought it home for my wife because she's the only person in America that has a bottle of Joy Cola. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, as the doors have opened in Albania, not only are there Christian missionaries, but there are also a number of Muslim missionaries. And it was quite striking to see Muslim missionaries dressed with their uh, turban and these kind of white tunics. Uh, mostly Asian missionaries, they were there proclaiming um, the Islamic message. And it was uh, it was sobering to think that there there is very much a, a a battle going on for the hearts and the souls of the Albanians. There's one mullah who which is a Muslim holy man he has written a number of books like uh, why jesus is not god and 50000 mistakes in the bible and these books anger the christians and they 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 really have difficult difficulty with them because they're they're not truths they're lies but the uh, the Islam has a lot of money because of the oil money that's generated from the oil revenues. And so there's a lot of money to publish and to translate and distribute this sort of thing. They're also building mosques. I saw three new mosques that had been constructed with uh, Arab oil money. In fact, as I arrived at the airport, there was a, a Kuwaiti airliner and a whole entourage of Kuwaiti. Men that were wealthy, and and I assume were there trying to strike some deals with the Albanian government. You give us aid, they say, and then you let us take control through Islam. That's kind of the deals that they're making. It's very important that we pray against that influence, that God will frustrate that influence in the name of Jesus. But alongside of that, there's great things happening, and Christian aid is pouring into the country. The Italian army has been given the task of distributing the aid so it gets to the people, and they're doing a good job of it. The aid is getting to the people that need it. And because uh, the Christians have not gone in and built buildings, they're giving things to people, to giving, giving to the poor. I believe that that is going to touch the hearts of the poor people of this country and that God is laying the seeds for a great revival. It's one thing to build a building and everybody kind of gawk at it, but it's another thing to give a person the things that they need, isn't it? Because that touches the heart, and I believe that God's setting the country up for a great revival. Unfortunately, the television station is controlled by the Muslims, and they only report the good things the Muslims are doing. They ignore what the Christians are doing, although the Christian aid has outnumbered the Islamic aid 10 to 1. And yet, see, there's an information block because of the control of the television station. That's why we need to pray. As I mentioned, I took 200 pounds of luggage to uh, Vaughn and Sue. And that was not all my stuff. It was a lot of things that Vaughn and Sue needed. And Sid Nettick and my mother-in-law, Lois Carbaugh, took many hours, and they packed all of this stuff in, in these bags, and not one thing was broken. I, mean, I had a whole lot of stuff, and they did such a good job. And when I uh, brought all the bags to Vaughn and Sue's house, they had kind of a, a Christmas in July as, as they opened up all these articles. And not only did we send them the, the items that they requested, Sue sent me a shopping list and said, would you get these items? But uh, we gave above and beyond that because we had talked to Sue's mother and she had told us items that they could use. And so we really had an abundance of gifts. And, and the greatest thing, you guys was that Vaughn and Sue had sent me money so that, that we could purchase these items. They weren't asking for a handout. But uh, you and many others around the United States gave enough money so that I was able to take um, nearly $1,000 worth of items for them. They were able to present them some kids' videos. I got a special VCR that plays both the American format and the European format of videos. It was just a wonderful gift, and they they were just in heaven. And the kids kept opening all the, the different pockets on these bags of luggage, and they pull out, hey, look at this, man. And so it really was Christmas in July. But it reminded me of what Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians 3.20. Paul says, now glory be to God, who by his mighty power at work within us is able to do far more than we would ever dare ask or even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. May he be given glory forever and ever through endless ages because of his master plan of salvation in the church through Jesus Christ. That's from the Living Bible. But that's what Vaughn and Sue saw. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly beyond all that we could even conceive because that's the kind of God that we serve. Vaughn told me this story, and it illustrates a principle. And the principle is that it's not what you say, but it's what they hear. It's not what you say, but it's what they hear. Vaughn and Sue have worked for seven years on the Albanian language. The first three years, that's all they did. That was when they were living in the Kosovo region of Yugoslavia. Albania was not yet open to foreigners, and so they were they were basically there in in, uh, Pristina, learning the language and it took him three years to become fluent enough to understand not only the words but the heart of an Albanian. So each language not only doesn't have different words but there's a certain heart that goes with that and it's not enough just to understand the words but you got to understand the heart. That's why humor is generally unique in each culture because what's funny to us, we like the Three Stooges or we like this or that, But what's, what's funny to us is not funny to them at all. And what they, what they think is funny, we kind of go, huh? Where's the humor in that? It's because it's very much part of our culture. And it's, and in order to accurately communicate the gospel, not only do we need to understand the raw words, but we need to understand the heart. And this, uh, this story illustrates that. There have been many evangelists that have come into Tirana and have done large-scale crusades, and uh, much good has come from them. But this story illustrates um, how far we can miss the mark sometimes. There was an evangelist and he came and the, the stadium, the soccer stadium was filled with about 2,000 Albanians and, and he proclaimed the gospel. He spoke the gospel to these people and when it came time to give the invitation, he said, how many of you would like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And every one of them stood to their feet cheering and just were, yes, we want this. And of course, you can imagine how the evangelist was just thrilled that, you know, 2,000 people had just accepted the Lord and he led them in some prayers, had them stand for this. And, you know, there was ministry going on. And Vaughn was there at this crusade. And, and I don't speak this to, to criticize any work of any evangelist. I just, I, I just say this, that how important it is we learn to communicate. Because Vaughn told me what those people heard was not, are you wanting to become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? What they heard was, how many of you want to live a Western lifestyle? And if you had been living in deprivation where you didn't have any conveniences in life, nothing to buy in the stores, no freedom to talk to anyone, who wouldn't want to have it like we have it in the West? And so when they stood and cheered, they were all saying, yes, we want what you have. We want what the West has and it had very little to do with the kingdom of God. And although the evangelist was very well-meaning, he had no malicious intent on his part, and yet we missed the mark because he what the people heard and what he said were two different things. Very, very important. Sue confided in me. She said that even after seven years, she still makes embarrassing mistakes in language and says things she shouldn't say or says things that aren't appropriate in their culture. And they've been at it seven years. I want to say this to you, if any of you, and I hope some of our 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 young adults here are contemplating the call of God, are saying, God, I want to go to the nations. But the, the thing you need to do is you need to work on a language. You, A person on the field that doesn't know the language is severely handicapped. I, I loved the Albanian students that I worked with, but I could not talk to them except to say hi and goodbye. Just in a few words I picked up. And you know, it was real interesting the, the spirit knows no language because I could love them and reach out to them and they, and they, they responded to my love. They received me, but we couldn't sit down and talk very well unless we had an interpreter. So I just want to challenge any of you that are contemplating Overseas missionary work Start by learning a language That's something you can do now And it will prepare you for the field you Must We must have the language For any long term kind of work there I want to share with you some answers to prayer Pastor Del Getty asked us to pray On several different occasions in May About um, the discipleship training school And Vaughn was, was having a real roadblock In terms of anything coming together In fact, uh, my timing of the trip, at first it was supposed to be in February, then it was supposed to be March, then it was April, and it just kept changing because things were not gelling on the other end, and the school just wasn't happening. And so finally, it all came together, and I believe it was in answer to our prayers and the prayers of many others. Listen to what happened. I want to read, uh, this was a quote from Vaughn's newsletter in last September. He said this, he said, we'll close this letter by, t- by asking for prayer for all of the details involved with setting up a training and sending base for church planting in Albania. One of the major needs to be, is to be able to contact and recruit those the Lord would choose to be a part of a church planting team. Some of these people will probably come from remote villages and we're praying for divine ways of contacting these Davids out there tending sheep, for instance, so they can become leaders in the Lord's kingdom. Finding proper facilities will take a miracle. The Lord is very capable of those. Pray for the Lord to call the right leadership team together as we need staff to join with us. Pray for the myriad of other details needed for such an effort and an administrator to handle them. That was Vaughn's request back in September. And in early May, he called me and he said, he said, Dick, we, we just need your prayers back in Bozeman because We, we don't, I don't have any students yet. I have no money for the school. I don't even have a place for the school. And Sue had been struggling with a, with a parasite like Giardia that just has, has really taken a toll on her health. And so they were in the midst of all of this happening. And this is what happened in the span of four days in early May. Number one, the Hong Kong YWAM base sent a $6,000 offering. And they said, we want, we believe God wants the school to go. Here's part of the finances for it. The second thing that happened is a house opened up to rent for the school. Now, housing in Toronto is very difficult to come by. There's way more people than housing, and they just don't have extra buildings like we do. And so to find even anything is is really hard, and to find it at an affordable price. Some Westerners are paying upwards of eight hundred, uh, excuse me, fifteen hundred dollars a month for a, a, a small house. That's the high end, but that's the kind of rent people can get. And some people are renting their their small houses. And so Vaughn not only found a great place for the school, but a relief agency gave them bunk beds and mattresses and linens and also a large supply of dried cereal and peanut butter, which is the sustenance of YWAM. Those of you who have been in YWAM know that. And so all of these came as gifts. Fifteen applications came in those four days of students from around the nation wanting to attend the school and Sue received some medications from a doctor that uh, has really begun to kill the parasite that she's been struggling with. Now, that's a spiritual breakthrough. And that, and see, Satan was warring against this because he sees where this thing is going. Vaughn's vision is to send church planters out to the whole nation to plant churches and reproduce ministry all over the nation. It's a tremendous vision. And so Satan was against that and was trying to prevent it in every way. I had the privilege of speaking at the church on Saturday night. They have their services on Saturday evening. And until recently, Vaughn has been pastoring that, but he has now turned the church over to uh, another couple. And they're hoping that in the next year or so that they can totally turn it over to Albanian leadership so that it'll be truly an Albanian church, not, not an American church. And it was such a privilege to be at this church. You guys would have loved it. It was just like being here. All these people loving Jesus, except these folks are all brand new to the Lord. I mean, I mean, you know, they 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 just have no Christian history at all. They have never read the Bible. In fact, when we we were going to pray the Lord's prayer in the school, and and uh, one of the staff people said, "Well, let's pray the Lord's prayer." Okay, and everybody's looking at each other. What's the Lord's prayer? They they did not know the Lord's prayer, so we turned to Matthew six and we read it from the scripture. See that see, that's how ignorant they are of of Bible things. And in some ways, that's a blessing because when they read the scripture, they take it for what it really says. And they get really excited and say, man, Jesus said we're going to go do this. Well, let's go do it. <laughs> it's, it's really tremendous, really tremendous. And they're, they're all of them are active in evangelism. They bring their friends to, to the, the small group meetings. They, they call them the Bible families. And also the large group meetings, they bring people. And it's it's wonderful to see what God was doing. And so, oh, it was so neat to hear Shine, Jesus, Shine sung in Albanian. All the choruses we sing, they've translated. And it was such a joy to hear the tune, but in, but in language I didn't understand, but I could sense they were worshiping and praising God. The, the scripture that my wife read this morning about that every kindred, every tribe, every ethnic group is going to be represented before the throne of God. And I thought of that scriptures as I heard them singing praise to God in Albanian. It was exciting. Vaughn introduced me to the church as his spiritual father in the Lord. Vaughn had uh, shared many stories about me. He had talked to them about um, the discipleship that I had done in his life. We actually lived together for two years. Vaughn lived with joy and myself. And so we've just got a whole history, spiritual history together. And as the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's happened between us. And uh Vaughn has used some of my life in in his sermon illustrations, so I was not a stranger to these people. And because of of my influence in Vaughn's life, they they felt like they kind of knew me. In fact, one of the elders, he came up to me after one of the services, and and he said, you know, I was expecting to see this old man with gray hair. And he said, you're a young man, you know. (laughs) So I was really blessed by that. (laughs) So Vaughn introduced me and he said what what I have given to you Dick originally gave to me. And Vaughn said I I can honestly say that if it weren't for Dick I wouldn't be here as your pastor. And so I felt this real bond. I really felt that I came as a spiritual father through the to this church through my ministry with Vaughn. And as uh, as I was as I came up front they they began to applaud. But then the applause changed from a warm applause to this wild cheer of, of appreciation for what God had done, and I felt very much honored and received from by them and from the Lord. And so I am happy to report to you that that I've got two hundred spiritual grandchildren in in uh, in Tirana that love Jesus and and are going on with God. And that's a wonderful thing, you guys, because this is part of the vision that God's given to us at Christian Center. See, not all of you are gonna go to the nations, but some of you are. God has selected, and Vaughn and Sue are two that God selected out of this congregation through Vaughn's involvement in the campus ministry. And see, this is part of our vision. And even though most of you won't go, all of you can share in the vision through your giving, through your praying, through being a part of this wonderful thing. And I, I just wish I could communicate to you what a, what a highlight that moment was in my life. I'll never forget that moment. It's like it, it's, it's, it's worth all of the labor and all of the, the toil and sweat that goes with ministry. At that moment, it was worth it all. I just said, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We had a King's kid uh Kings Kids team here a few months ago remember they sang and did their did their did their um uh presentation of the gospel well there was a Kings Kids team there in Tirana and they were out on the streets doing their ministry and faithfully you know singing and praising God it was really an inspiration and in one of the apartments they're called palate is their they're tall four or five story apartment buildings and the Albanians are very Neat and clean on the inside of their homes, but outside is filled with a lot of litter and garbage. They're just not very clean in terms of the outside. And so this King's Kids team picked up this whole courtyard filled with glass and paper and garbage and whatnot, and they put it all in this, in the, in the garbage container. And when the people saw that, boy, the whole apartment complex was a buzz because nobody does that, you know. That's, that's beneath the Albanians to pick up garbage. And what they saw was not only, not only did they hear the gospel, but they saw it in action. Because that's the servant spirit of Jesus. And that it gave them an opportunity to really speak to, to the people in that, in that area of town. Hallelujah. Sometimes we wonder, well, you know, these short-term ministries that we have. We've sent people to Mexico. We sent people to Portland with, with Todd and the youth group. And, you know, we think, uh, you know, does this really do any good? Let me tell you a story. There's a young man at the school, at the YYM school, his name is Arion. And Arion, about a year ago, went down, down in Tirana and there were some Norwegian Christians. And they were singing and praising God and somebody was preaching the gospel through an interpreter. Arion went down to visit them because he went down to mock and to jeer and he did that. He would yell and make fun of them. There was a lot of that kind of stuff going on as the king's kids performed. And so uh, Arianne went down there thinking, well, I'm just going to show these folks. But you know, he says, when he saw the joy and the light in their eyes, he said, they had something I didn't have. And it said, it made me mad and I jeered and I mocked all the more. But God put a seed in his heart and about a, about eight months later, he came to a personal relationship with Jesus. And so does short-term ministry work? You bet it does. And so when when our... Young people, when, when when we send people out, let's pray, let's support them. Because we you never see the results. so that's one of the things I learned on this trip is I, I heard testimonies of people of how they came to the Lord, and the people that were the witnesses, the, the key people that planted the seeds, never knew they were doing it. That Norwegian team never knew that that Arion is now a dedicated Christian and is, is wanting to be a church planter to his nation. And that Norwegian team just being there and loving Jesus was a testimony to him that changed his life. They'll never know that till they get to heaven. And so friends, never despise short-term missions. Certainly it doesn't take the place of our long-term missionaries. We need them as well. It's like we need both. So let's get behind both of them and do all that we can to, to minister and bless them. The teaching of the DTS was a tremendous experience for me. We met outside because it was hot. We met outside under grapevines, so there were literally grapes growing above our head. I was told not to eat them because they weren't very good. But underneath all these this foliage, we just sat around in chairs and and uh, That was the setting for the school. I think it was much like Jesus did 2,000 years ago when he was with his disciples. There was 20 students at the school. Every one of them had a unique testimony of God had brought them. Most of them have only been saved in the last year. So they are really new Christians. It was awkward teaching with a translator, with an interrupter. I would find that I would say something, and then the translator would translate. And I'd think, now, what did I say? Where was I at? So I really had to switch gears. It was it, you could only get through about half the amount of material, so I had to shorten a lot of my the length of my messages, which is so hard for a preacher, you know. <laughs> you know. And I really felt all of your prayers. I I describe my experiences like I was walking in a bubble of anointing. I felt. I just felt the prayers and I watched God work as I would speak to these people. I could just see the spirit working in their lives. Man, I could have thrown them a fish and they'd have been blessed. It's because God was doing his work and that I really attribute that to all of your prayers and I want to thank you for that. My, my goal in going was to share the message on the Father heart of God. This is a message that has changed my life And it's a message I believe God has given to me to impart to others. And so when I went, I I felt like I was going as a UPS delivery boy, that I had something to deliver to the nation of Albania. And Paul talks to us in, in 1 Corinthians. He talks about that the kingdom of God is not just in words, but the kingdom of God is in power. See, the kingdom of God is an impartation of the very life of Christ. And that's what I felt happened. We had two very strategic times. The first happened at um, a Sunday prayer meeting that the staff had. We got together for a few hours just to seek the Lord for the time of ministry that we knew would come the second week. And d- during that time, we felt that the Lord spoke to us and said that I, I am doing something prophetic in this nation. I am opening a door here that I have longed for years to open. And the Father was saying, I have waited for, for this moment to have my people in this country. So I just felt that this was this was a door, like the book of Revelation says, God will open a door that no one can shut. And I felt that that's what was going to happen. And so, so as we prayed, we waited on the Lord, different ones of us got different kind of understandings. That this was very strategic and that from, from this group of 20 students, God was going to send healing to this nation a nation that's been deeply wounded and scarred by the oppressor, by the dictator, Enver Hoxha, and all of this, the deep level of mistrust among these people. So you couldn't, you couldn't say anything in the years past, you know, up until two years ago. You couldn't say anything to anybody because if you did and got reported, the police would come and take you away and you'd never be heard from again. That's the kind of reign of terror. And people were informed and tattled on each other for money. Very corrupt and wicked. So it forced people deep within themselves. You don't trust anybody. You don't talk to anybody. You can never let your true thoughts and uh, inner inner things be known to anyone. See, that's what the trauma that this people is com- are coming out of. And, and they're now just beginning to open their hearts. And it's a big deal for them to even trust God because of what they have been under. Vaughn told me just... Deep stories of pain of things the government had done to people, just violated their personhood and, and ripped them off. So, so there's a great need of healing, and the Father said, "I am going to send healing to these people through through these group of students." We had a tremendous time of ministry on the second Wednesday that I was there. We had a time of ministry for for each student by the laying on of hands, and this uh, turned into a six hour prayer marathon where every student just got intense prayer, and there was deliverance. There was tremendous breakthrough. And you you always can tell when the Lord's doing things because you look in people's eyes. The eye is the window to the soul. And when the Spirit of God comes upon people, you see it in their eyes. Remember I mentioned that I, as I walked the streets of Albania, there was such sadness and hurt in their eyes. Well, as God came, these folks were just glowing. Their faces, they were smiling. The joy of the Lord came and there were significant breakthroughs in each person's life. And then on the last morning that I was there, we closed the time of the school with a time of communion, and then we went to a time of commissioning. And I felt that the Father was asking them, and saying, will you go for me? Will you take what I have given to you? Will you take that to the nation? And every one of the students said yes. And I had them all come to the front or, or come to the center of the room and they all just bunched together. Just sometimes like what we do on Sunday night when we pray for each other. And, and, and I was, as I was praying for them, I saw this column of light. It's like a cylinder of light. And it was God's anointing coming upon these people as he was commissioning them. And the Lord spoke prophetically and he said, you are my hope for this nation. I have invested my life in you so that you can go and reach others that are in desperate need of salvation. And it was a solemn moment. There was weeping and a real sense that this was, Jesus, the commander of the hosts of heaven, had called his troops and was now commissioning. It was it was one of those unrepeatable holy moments. It was just, just awesome. And they responded favorably to that. And, and they all said, yes, Lord, we'll go. Whatever, whatever you want us to do, we are yours. And I, I think, friends, we've just begun to see what this is gonna do in, in the nation of Albania, what kind of impact this is going to have. I wanna read you a few testimonies of some of the students. This first one is a a lady named Kalia. Here's what she said. I never realized that I could please the Father. I knew I could love Him, but not knowing that I could please Him came into my soul like light. I noticed that they, the Albanians use this phrase a lot, is that light came into my soul. The young man that uh, was watching the Norwegians and was jeering, he told me the same thing. He said, light came into me. I had never known light before, but the light of Jesus came into my life. And that was real interesting. That phrase is used a lot as I talked with the Albanian people. And see, that's the revelation of the Spirit coming into our lives. And so so Kalia said, I, I I never realized that I could live in such a way that would please the Father. I have found the freedom of God, and he is bringing victory into my life. My biggest challenge was to forgive me, and my greatest enemy is myself, and I have begun to do that. I treasure the many solemn moments we had in prayer. I am very very grateful to the Lord Jesus for sending you to our school. The only thing I want to express is that God through you, Dick, made me sparkle. My soul is filled with a different light. That is the light of forgiveness for myself, for Kalia. I, will th- I thank God for all these solemn moments of forgiveness which I can never forget in my life. I appreciate and love and respect you in Christ. And friends, this is not me. This is an answer to your prayers. This is the work of the Father, and all of us got to share in it through our giving and through our praying. Another young man, his name is Reddy, He said, last year, another man and I stole the windshield off of Vaughn's car when he came to (laughs) Skoder. Some of you remember remember this story. The man at whose house the car was parked, when we did this, found out who did it and came and confronted me. He recommended that I return the windshield to the rightful owner, Vaughn Golder. We took the bus to Toronto, not knowing where Vaughn lived, city of 300,000. But on the street, we saw another missionary's wife and she directed us to Vaughn's house. I went to Vaughn's door, returned the windshield and expressed my sorrow over having done this. Vaughn shared with me the good news of Jesus and I became a believer that day. Your message on the discipline of the Father really helped me. I have been walking by feelings and not by faith. I depended too much on my feelings and not on the word of God. Knowing that the Father will discipline me has taken away my fear of the future. He gives us a burden, but it is light, and I want to carry that burden. I am so happy to meet you. Your teachings have helped me much. Now I know more of the heart of God, not just in knowledge, but in practice. I would like to see you again in Albania. God bless you abundantly. You have a soft and tender heart. I want to teach your message to my people. Hallelujah. (laughs) Another, this is, this is a um, not so young man. He's about 35. His name is Memli. He says this, For several years, I worked for the Albanian secret police. As instructed, we confiscated Bibles from the tourists. But over time, I got curious as to why people would bring Bibles into Albania. During the slow time at work, I would read the New Testament. Many times, I would discuss it with the other officers. I read the New Testament through five times. Now Jesus has made himself real to me and I desire to serve him. Since I am now retired and have a small pension, I want to devote the rest of my years to Jesus. This week I learned that the Father loves me. I also learned that love and discipline go hand in hand and are two sides of the same coin. Thank you for everything that you do for us. Your teaching is a blessing to me. I don't forget you all my life. That's his broken English. Isn't that special? Memley has a pension of $20 a month. That's the average wage in Toronto, in, the, in Albania. See, it's not, not very much money. And that's why as, as we give money to help these church planters, we can help sustain them. Another girl, Julia, she says, The teaching that touched me most was 2 Corinthians 5.17, and this week the old things passed away, and now everything is new. The Lord has given me a new name and a new identity, and I have peace with him. Gregor this young man is is really called to be an apostle to North Albania he says i received a new revelation of the father that i that i can give to others and i have much theory about the lord and this week i experienced many new things when we prayed to break the generational sins that you taught us about i felt a wonderful freedom and release come into my life i am also assured of 2 corinthians 5:17 that the old things are passing away and new things are coming I will be going to Scoter to plant a church there. Another young man who's studying at the university, agronomy at the university, his name is Fatmia. He says, I read Floyd McClung's book on the father heart of God and these truths came alive. But you came and modeled these truths for us. The teachings came alive to me. The forgiveness exercise was very significant in my life and the prayer ministry filled me up greatly. You have placed a new pillar in my faith. I shall forget you never. Another young man. His name is Mondi. He says, I want my, I want my people to hear about the good news of Jesus so that they can be delivered from darkness. I learned that the Father loves us as we are. I don't have to earn His love. Your message on taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ exposed a lot of lies in my mind and I desire to place the truth there. I feel free because the Father really loves me. Georgi said, this week I learned to forgive many people as I tore up the debt slip. I felt our prayers go directly to the Father, and he was pleased. One of the things I do with forgiveness is I have people write down the specific people and events that they need to forgive. And we took actually three days to do this. And so when they, when the students came for this last session, they had all the offenses written down. And then I have them speak out forgiveness and say, John, I forgive you. And I forgive whoever's offended and hurt me. And then after that's all done, I have them tear up the debt slip. Because when you hold on forgiveness, you, you have an IOU and you're saying that you owe me something. You're going to pay for what you've done. And when we tear up the debt slip, we, we, we tear it up and we throw it away and we say, you don't owe me anything any longer. And as, as, as this happened, I, it felt it was like chains rolling off of people. One of the students told me that unforgiveness is a stronghold in the Albanian people. The whole problems that we're having in Bosnia and the fighting going on there is rooted in centuries of unforgiveness. That's why the only solution for that that area of the world is a mighty revival where people learn to forgive and let it go. Because otherwise they're going to perpetuate it, they're going to teach their kids to hate, and then their kids will carry on the battle, and the feud will just keep going on and on. It has to stop somewhere, and when Jesus comes into our lives, it stops with us, and we say, "I'm forgiving, and I'm going to love. I'm not going to be unforgiving." One of the nights, I did a seminar for the church, and uh, each night uh, about a hundred people gathered. And the um, the Friday night of the seminar, I was teaching on forgiveness, and out in the square, we were right on the uh, the main square of the city. There was a riot going on because the Democratic uh, um, the 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 present party the the Democrats had arrested the leader of the old socialist party on on uh, charges of crimes and it had happened at two in the afternoon. And by five o'clock, there were just these great throng, thousands of people in this square yelling at each other and threatening violence. And there were some, there were some violent clashes with the police. And it was just tense in the atmosphere. And right as that was going on outside of the, 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 this theater that we were meeting and you could hear all this yelling and, and uh, stuff going on, we were forgiving and tearing up those debt slips. And so we came against that spirit of bitterness and anger with a spirit of forgiveness. And then uh, there's a, a Brazilian missionary there, and she got up and we we just waged war in, in the spirit, just interceded that God would bring peace to the to the country of Albania to the riot that was going on outside. And one of the girls from the church went home and listened to the the um, nine o'clock news, and the news reporter said this. He said that explained the the confrontation, and there was a lot of trouble and there was some violence. But he said then mysteriously at seven thirty. Everything got peaceful and everybody went home. And that was exactly the moment when we had been praying and interceding. And I believe God had his hand and intervened in that situation. Hallelujah. Vaughn's vision is to send out four church planting teams. He's asking these students to make a four-year commitment. Vaughn will visit the teams as, as they go to different parts of the country. And then every six weeks, he's going to call them back together and they'll, they'll have a time of refreshing time of encouragement, re-strategizing, and problem-solving, and then they'll be sent back out for another six weeks. And this is where we need your help. $50 a month will support one of these church planters. That will give them enough sustenance, at least at this time, that they can have a place to stay, takes care of their food. And uh, where else in the world can you support a missionary for 50 bucks a month? And these young people have the fire of God in their hearts, they're young, but they, they wanna, they wanna see their country reached. And, and I, I, I wanna appeal to you today in the name of Jesus that we would be part of this effort and that you would prayerfully consider giving a certain amount. Maybe you can't give 50 a month, but maybe the Lord would challenge you to give five bucks a month. Maybe He would challenge you to be part of the prayer team. Whatever it is, I want you to respond to the Lord today. As I mentioned, the average wage in Albania is, is 30 bucks a month. So 50 bucks goes a long ways, at least where the economy is now. It, it's going to change in the future. But for right now, we can do a lot with 50 bucks a month. And I, I stand here as a witness that these people are worthy of support. They love God. They're willing. They're will, Friends, they're willing to go into conditions that none of us would live in. Toronto was not difficult for me to live in because I didn't expect it to be like the West. But it's not—it's not—it's not real clean. It doesn't have any of the conveniences we have here. I loved it. I got along fine. But you go from there to a village, and it's—it's it's a quantum leap down. It's—it life is difficult in the rural villages. This is very, very difficult, and it's—it's it's, going to cost for people to live there. I mean, it's, just, it's not going to be very pleasant. But these folks are willing to go and do it because Jesus has called them to go. So I want to challenge you to to consider what your part would be in in doing all of this. Hallelujah. We have a sister church in Tirana. We have a sister church that that God has given us grace here at Christian Center to be a part in planting planting there. And I just want to affirm again, that's that's the vision of this place. We're not just here to, to be a Bless Me Club, And, and certainly we are here to reach Bozeman and Montana. That's part of our job description. But we also have the world in our hearts too. We're here to reach the nations. And we can all do all of that. See, we all can, we all can do a part in that. I just want you to be a, to, to get online. Don't don't just be a pew warmer, you know, don't just be a spectator and say, oh, that's nice what's happening. It's all the joy of being a part of this thing. This is God's invasion in human history. God, the God of history, is 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 doing things right in right in, right in our own front yard, right around the world, and, and we can be a part of it. That'll be a God's oh, it's a great motivator for your life. You won't get bored if you get plugged in with God's vision for what, what he's doing in the earth today. Hallelujah. So I want to close by by just offering a word of prayer. And I want you, as as you bow your heart before the Lord this morning, I should ask him, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to be involved in this vision? Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just want to say thanks to you for the goodness that you've shown to me. I I want to thank you for my brothers and sisters. I want to thank you, Lord, for their prayers. I want to thank you for the prayers and the and the the finances that came from here and from all over the United States from people that love you that love me and love Vaughn and Sue. Father, I thank you for that, and I pray Jesus that that uh, this vision of of church planting will happen in Albania. I pray for its success. I pray for these young men and women that you've tapped, Lord, that you've you've touched their hearts, Lord. You've laid your Spirit upon them, and now you're calling them to do your work. Lord, I think we could be a part of that by helping with finances. And Lord, you just speak to us if that resonates with any of our hearts. You just speak to us and we'll obey what you want us to do, Lord. And if it's not supporting Vaughn and Sue, Lord, I pray you'll put a burden to support the other, the many, many other wonderful missionaries that that we're supporting out of Christian Center. May May this increase, Father, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Bless this people, Lord God. I pray you'll bless them with encouragement and hope today. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to give you a closing thought that a grandmother in the Lord gave to me. And as we chatted a little on the street through an interpreter, she left me with this, with this uh, departure note. And she said this. May we always be together with Him in our hearts. May we always be together with Him in our hearts. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dick Schroeder Podcast. For more teaching and discipleship resources from Dick, visit fatherheartministries.net.